2: All right, Carl, thanks so much. Welcome to the Halftime Report. I'm Scott Wagner here at Post 9 today, front and center this hour. Earnings, new records for stocks, where to put your money right now. That is our focus today. We debate it with the investment committee and joining me for the hour are Bryn Talkington, Brenda Vingello, Steve Weiss, Jim Labenthal, Joe Terranova. Nice to see everybody. Let's begin by checking stocks. It was another new record high today for the NASDAQ. You can see we are now in the green across the board yields on the 10-year 137. We continue to watch that. Tech discretionary REITs all hitting new high- Highs. cyclicals under some pressure today. And it is that 10 year we are watching closely and we will be all week. CPI data is coming out. pals on the Hill testifying. And all of that could have an impact on the rate complex, which could drive stocks. And that's been the story of late. So I want to s- sort of, you know, instead of going macro to start things off, guys, I want to start by talking about some of the moves you all are making, because Jim Labenthal, you bought more Disney and I find that pretty interesting. What, what sort of statement that makes about maybe the overall picture, what it says about your belief in that company's stock.
3: Well, look, I think the company is fabulous. I think I've said this for some time, that it's a hybrid. It's got the reopening trade in it with the theme parks and studios. And then it's got the streaming business, which I'm not going to call a stay-at-home business, Scott, because this is a business that I think we all believe will do well regardless of whether we're in a shutdown or not. By the way, I don't see any signs of us going into a shutdown anytime soon. But high-quality company, I think... What I'd really like to point out here, Scott, is this is continuing a tactic that I've had all year of finding those stocks that are great companies, but whose share prices have corrected and languished. So we know that Disney's stock price absolutely killed it after November, right? They had that earnings report followed by the December analyst four-hour meeting that was just chock-a-block full of content, stock rallied, rallied into March, and since has consolidated and paused. That's where I want to pick up more of it, just like I picked up more Apple in March, just like I picked up more Viacom after it came down after Arkegos. That's my tactic right now. I think we're in a secular bull market. Pause for that to take, you know, take hold. And then within that secular bull market, you're supposed to overweight those stocks that look like they're going to come out of a consolidation slash correction soon. That's Disney to me.
2: I hear you. Uh, Highs of the day uh, for DIS. Uh, 203 is the 52-week high. Uh, Not all that far uh, away from where the stock is now. Uh, By the way, JP Morgan today reiterates Disney. As its top pick, it's about theme parks, movies bouncing back, driving the share price higher, as you can see shares again uh, on the move today. Uh, Interesting. Brenda, this was one of your picks in our stock summit not all that long ago.
4: That's right. And I agree with Jim that, you know, I think this stock is poised to, to come out of this consolidation that it's been. And as I said, uh, during during that stock summit, I really think Disney is one of the few companies that's going to come out of this being much stronger than it was going in, in terms of now the streaming business, over 100 million subscribers, incredible content, a return of uh, traffic back to to the parks. So I think there are a lot of reasons to be positive about Disney. So the fact that it has done what it's done this year is a little bit perplexing, but I think it's created a great opportunity to get in.
2: Yeah, I mean, it's come so far from from where it was uh, off the bottom, then a bit of a stall. um, But we are looking at a a reopening story that could be beneficial to those shares uh, going forward. All right, Steve Weiss, you know, in a market where we're once again debating growth versus value, cyclical versus growth, etc. You bought more uh, or you bought Taiwan Semi again, right? You had owned it. I think you at least sold most of it, if not all. uh, And now you bought it again. What's the story there with you?
5: Yeah, I, I did exit Taiwan Semi slightly above where it is and bought it back. Stock's been consolidating since March. And I think what we've seen over, since that period of time, matter of fact, the entire year, is that this is a critical company with the semi shortage, which, is, which isn't going away anytime soon. Taiwan Semi, which is the number one foundry in the world, has become more and more important. Yet. The stock's been flat. So while you've seen the other semis move up, while you've seen technology recover, reach new highs in a lot of instances, this has been left somewhat for dead. However, they keep reporting numbers. So they report monthly revenue numbers. They'll report their quarter this Thursday. And the monthly revenue numbers have been very, very strong. And unlike a lot of other companies that are reporting strong numbers this year, they're based upon poor comparisons from COVID. Semi was in Taiwan. Semi was never like that. Through COVID, they did quite well because while others shut down, they continued to pump back and do well. And yet it's not getting credit for that. So I believe at roughly a market multiple on forward earnings that this stock is compellingly cheap. It's like utility, except it's utility with pricing power, with innovation. So I see the risk is very, very low, and I think it should get re-rated higher. There's a lot of the street that's still holding it, you know, just saying hold, and doesn't even follow it, or it's followed in Asia. So I think it's a great opportunity to buy this stock, which is going to perform for years to come.
2: Okay, so we're just off the highs of TSM as well, and we'll keep our eyes on that one, too. Now, the other interesting move of the day, just given the kind of week that we're entering in, where banks are going to kick off earnings season uh, starting tomorrow, is, Joe, you bought more Goldman Sachs. And I think that's very interesting, just considering where interest rates have been, where they are today, and the fact that these companies are going to start reporting their numbers. Why did you do this?
1: So this is a great conversation because for those of the viewers that don't believe technicals work, they absolutely do. You are in an environment right now where you're waiting for earnings. There's not much to rely on for fundamentals. So as Jimmy's talking about Disney, Scott, I'm looking at it on a chart. That's a great trade. It's right against the 200-day moving average where it held. The same story for, for the trade that Steve has in the SMH. Now I go to Goldman Sachs, and I'm relying on the technicals here, Scott. 100-day moving average got challenged at 350. It held absolutely perfectly. In the last five days, while you're seeing Citi, Bank of America, Wells, all down, Goldman Sachs has had relative strength. It's actually higher over the last five days. So I also think there's a technical trade that reached its capitulation point in Treasury yields last week. We perfectly held the 200-day moving average at 123 for a 10-year, playing that recovery on Friday. I wanted to increase my exposure to financials. It was, tech, uh, it was based on technicals, and that takes me right back to where I'm most confident. One of my favorite names, Goldman Sachs. I'll buy it, add to it all day long, heading into earnings.
2: Okay, that's another one that's at the highs of the day, too, shares of GS. Uh, you know, you mentioned, Joe, where, where rates are. And it's sort of like the good, the bad, and the ugly when it when it comes to financial stocks. You know, obviously good, okay, so you know, you're gonna increase your dividends, you're gonna do more loan loss, reserve releases, all of that is stimulative toward towards earnings. You've got the improving economic picture that we're talking about too. The bad is low rates, right? And and how do you get past that with the ugly, which as you said, most of these stocks haven't done anything lately.
1: Correct. Well, I I think you lean a little bit towards capital market oriented financial names, not really the pure play money center banks that have the sensitivity and correlation to where net interest margins are going to be uh, based on whether a 10 year treasury goes up 25 basis points or down. So the private equity names, let me give you a few. Blackstone, KKR, I believe in those. On the capital market side, you could own some of the exchanges, whether it's the NASDAQ ICE, CME, Morgan Stanley and Goldman Sachs. To me, that's the most diversified of the large investment banks. And those are the two names that I own.
2: Okay. So Bryn, um, back to Goldman Sachs before we broaden it out to more financial ideas, which plays right into a holding that Brenda has. Bryn, you own calls in in Goldman uh, as well as as shares.
0: Yeah. So I think that what Joe brought up about Paying attention to technicals is really important. So as an investor, before you buy a stock, I think you want to look for three things. You want to know sentiment, you want to know fundamentals, and then you want to know technicals. And I think from you know sentiment to Scott, what you just pulled out is sentiment somewhat negative on the banks because of rates. I think sentiment's also negative because of the terrible loan growth. And I think that you can go to the St. Louis website, St. Louis Fed website, and look at you know loan growth of the big banks. And it's been terrible. They're not lending. Maybe because people don't need loans, because whether you're a consumer or a company, you're so flush with ga- cash, thanks to the Federal Reserve and thanks to the stimulus checks. That being said, that really doesn't apply to Goldman. You know, Goldman is going to generate revenues from equity trading, fixed income trading, and investment banking. And so I think this, this type of market plays right into Goldman's wheelhouse, and I think that's why you're seeing it catch a strong bid today going into earnings, is because those three levers should do really well. Um, this, this quarter. And I think typically Goldman, if you look, past, look back the past 10 years, they typically beat about 87 percent of the time on the upside. So I think that they'll have good numbers tomorrow morning. And I think it's a good example of how they're different than some of the other big banks like a Bank of America or a city that are much more reliant on that loan growth, which we just haven't seen happening, which I know people will be looking at tomorrow.
2: Yeah. I want to note again uh, for all our viewers, uh, shares of Goldman are right now Highs of the day. Uh, so we'll keep we'll keep watching that. Now, you guys talked about, OK, private equity, Joe mentioned, which Brenda brings me to you and you're, you're holding in BlackRock. And it just, I guess, stimulates a conversation, if not a debate on which types of financial stocks right now are, are better to own, whether it's fintech, whether it's the private equity names, Blackstone, BlackRock and some others that are publicly traded um, or the traditional money center banks, which really get the ball rolling in terms of earnings.
4: Yeah, I think there's different drivers, even though they all kind of get lumped together, there's absolutely different drivers of the businesses here. And when it comes to something like a BlackRock, you know, what we've seen over the last couple quarters, and we would expect to continue here, is that they've really been bucking the trend and seeing uh, fees uh, move higher, which is not a trend that has really been happening. We've seen many, many years of fees coming down across the board, especially with uh, passive vehicles out there. But that BlackRock has done an excellent job of launching a lot of new product uh, that does carry a higher fee and so they've been able to not only um have more assets come their way but it's been at a higher fee level so that's been uh, certainly a positive trend that they've seen there but it's very different from what ha- might be happening at a money center bank although i will say that something like a jp morgan which is a very diversified uh bank and includes an asset management business um does there is some correlation there uh, with the asset management business side but otherwise i'd say they are pretty different animals here um that both experiencing a positive trend.
2: Yeah, another, another stock uh, right now as we're talking about it at the highs of the day, JPM up uh, one and two thirds percent. I want to go to Mr. Financials right now, um, a.k.a. Farmer Jim Labenthal, because um, he told you last week how much he just loved this sector. I mean, you could just, it was pouring out of him the amount of love he had for financial stocks. But I'll, I'll hit you with this. So money centers, private equity or fintech, Jim, And don't give me all three.
3: No, I'm not going to, but I am going to be honest and say I've just completely missed fintech, okay? I'm going to be honest. I think it's too late for me to get into it right now, but I have a ton of respect for PayPal Square. Now, having said that, you know, I have to say money center banks, okay? And here's why. Bryn actually went to this, but I don't think she stated it strongly enough. We know that loan demand has been terrible, and one of the reasons why is if you take a look at revolving credit, i.e. credit cards, people have paid down their credit Credit cards with a lot of the stimulus checks that have come in over the last year. Now, there will be more stimulus like the earned income tax credit, but there's not going to be as much stimulus. And you're already seeing a hookup in revolving credit. It's very clear to see. Now, credit cards have a much higher net interest margin than, say, your traditional commercial or industrial or home mortgage loans credit cards are where the money center banks are going to make a lot of money. As stimulus ebbs, as the consumer continues to consume and the economy continues to expand, that revolving credit is going to be very important to the earnings power of the money center banks. So, look, I know I missed fintech, but I'm very comfortable staying with the money center banks.
2: Now, if you're talking about credit mm. cards, Bryn, why, not, why don't you just go, you know, if, if not pure play credit card, certainly at least uh, more along those lines, Pete's Capital One. I know you're taking a look at that. American Express today was reiterated top pick over at Wells Fargo. They bumped the target to 200 from 185. It's obviously an economic reopening, reopening story. Why not, more, why not one of the more pure play credit cards rather than having to deal with the interest rates and that interest margin and all the hair that's on the bank stocks right now?
0: Yeah, I mean, I agree. I've owned PayPal, first of all, for a long time. It was one of my top picks in January. I think that's just a secular trend. And they're doing, you know, they're executing on so many different levels. I think from the credit card space, I mean, I don't own Capital One. I'm looking for an entry point. Their earnings come out, I want to say, July 22nd. I don't like to take a new entry point a week before earnings. So we'll see. We'll see what happens. But I think that that is a secular grower. And I think so. A Capital One going forward, I think, outperforms, let's say, a Bank of America. And so I definitely think this is a time in the financials to pick your spot. Because on the other side, then you have like a Wells Fargo, which is just like a turnaround play. And so I do think this is a a really good opportunity to pick your spots within financials and own, once again, a PayPal, a Capital One if you get an opportunity, Goldman Sachs, because those companies aren't so reliant on net interest margins. And, hey, you could just go buy a Visa and call it a day, because, you know, if you pull up a chart of Visa... That stock just continues to go at a 45 degree angle higher.
2: Yeah. So, you know, Mm -hmm. Steve Weiss, if we if we wrap up this part of the conversation, I'll have you react to what Adam Parker is writing about today. He says they'd be neutral on the banks heading into earnings, as many have seen strong multiple expansion. So what's the right play here? Do you buy these stocks? Do you stay neutral or do you look for, regardless of the moves that they've had, the PayPals, the squares and some of the more, let's say, you know, fintech plays that hit squarely in that in that spot.
5: Well, I I think fintech, like Jim, I've I've missed just about all of it. Uh, I think that will continue to grow. I believe the banks will come and answer the PayPal's and the Square's and have the ability to do it on a level where they're not where they're somewhat agnostic to margins initially, as these companies, frankly, have been. It's not like they're they're wild major earners. But here's the caution I would have I would say before I get to that in terms of Adam yeah i don't expect much out of this quarter. We've seen the bounce back it's going to be the stocks will move as the yield curve steepens. but here's the caution. The caution is is that loan growth also has not been strong because we're seeing alternative areas of financing. So we had the first M&A transaction last week, I forget which deal it was, where none of the major banks were involved in bridge financing or anything. That's the first time I recall seeing it. It was private equity funds. So that's going to continue to be an albatross on the banks because that was very high margin business for them. So... I think you've got to be very, very careful to where you go. It's going to be the relationship banks that do it. Goldman is what I own. B of A is what I own. Very comfortable owning them. And I think they're extraordinarily cheap here as I look out six months in a year with rising yields.
2: Okay. XLF, highs huh. of the day uh, as well. All right, Joe. So, Scott, you've got to be a little selective, okay, when it, when it comes to the, the kind of financial stock that you're going to buy. Mm-hmm. And... Yep, It's more difficult, right? So why not just buy tech stocks? Why not buy the, what's, what's been leading? Why go through the adjective trying to figure out which part of the financial complex is the one that's going to work for you? We have another record high for the NASDAQ today. You've got a low rate environment. Mm-hmm. You have concerns about the Delta mm-hmm. variant. In other words, isn't this the perfect environment for tech to continue to work?
1: It, it certainly has been over the past several weeks. And I don't think if you were to believe that yields are going to recover from this level and maybe push back towards 1.50 for a 10-year, that you move away from your mega cap technology holdings because there's durability, there's sustainability in the growth of their earnings. And I think that incorrectly market positioning reversed from having uh, overweights to really an underweight positioning towards mega cap technology. And you kind of had this chase for performance here over the last four to six weeks that was really represented in Apple and Amazon, which had been underperforming. So I want to maintain my exposure. I'm there with Alphabet, Microsoft, and Apple. And as it relates to the financials, one thing we left out of that conversation, if you really want to generate alpha and you believe that rates are moving higher, guess what? Regional banks are the best place to be, whether it's Fifth Third, Huntington Bank, synchrony. These are the names that you want to own, but don't move away from your technology exposure. I want to stay with that.
2: All right. So Bryn, you're you're highly qualified, I should say, to talk about tech today from all spectrums. Okay, because I think you're the only one on the program who actually owns Kathy Wood's ARK funds, the ARK ETF, the innovation fund, the ARKK, um, along with some of the mega cap bang names like Apple, even though I I do recall you telling me you trimmed that position several, several months ago. You own Microsoft. You own Nvidia. You already talked about the fact that you own PayPal. You own the Qs. You own Roblox. So you own, you know, mega cap. Um, you own mega growth. Where is this space right now? Have some of the Kathy Wood stocks come down enough that you'd feel comfortable adding to at these levels?
0: So um, I and our, we, as a firm and myself personally, initially invested in ARKK in March of 2020. So call it luck timing, it was in the 30s, right? And so we wanted to make an allocation there. And so the reason why, and so fast forward today, I think ARKK is around like 127. Um, We reduced that in December of last year because the flows were just crazy. We were talking about it every day. You definitely have seen a lot of the froth come out. But the reason why you own ARKK is like the best ideas of, you know, the Cathie Wood Arc ecosystem is because I want to own Shopify. I've wanted to own, you know, Tesla. I think CRISPR, I think Invitea are amazing companies. But the entry points are always so high, and they always seem like expensive stocks. Well, when you buy those ARKK, you get Shopify, you get Spotify, you get CRISPR, Invitea, all of those great names. I know everyone just talks about Tesla, but you really get to own these truly strong, secular growth companies that have, I think, long tailwinds. But to your point, you know, where do you enter? I think in hindsight, you know, that $100 level was a great point, but it didn't feel so good. So, you know, we, I own it. I haven't added to the position yet, um, only because I have a, a decent-sized position, but I own it for the long-term. The keys, I'll say, are my version of the S&P 500. You know, once again, that owns NVIDIA, that owns Tesla, that owns all of those FANG names in size. And so that's how I want to get my growth story, but I want to balance balance that with energy names and some other names that I think are deep value that also have secular tailwinds in a different way. So I think this is a bigger question on portfolio construction, but I'm a big fan, obviously, of ARC, of the underlying holdings, and think that more people should have a longer-term time horizon and just, you know, don't try to pick the absolute bottom, because that's impossible, impossible to do.
2: Farmer Jim, obviously, he's told you about Apple. He's got Amazon and Facebook and Alphabet and Microsoft. And he told you that he didn't want to buy PayPal here because he missed fintech. But he sure is happy to own that Twilio. Right, Jim? No matter of that valuation.: <laughs> yeah. I don't even know. So, What's the valuation of, of Twilio as compared to some of these other names that you don't feel comfortable owning?
3: That's you're, you're a little tough today from the New York Stock Exchange.
2: just right. want to know. Um, um, I just want to know. Here. Inquiring minds <laughs> want to know, right? I mean, not all
3: high yeah. multiple no, stocks listen, are created no, it, equal, it, I suppose.
4: Great,
3: it, it is, it's absolutely an appropriate question. Here's what I'm doing with Twilio and Salesforce. Those two together represent five percent of my portfolio, and I put them in that category of hyper growth. That does include the fintechs. It does include Tesla. It includes a lot of the software stocks, a lot of the Kathy Wood stocks. The five percent weighting is what I want you to key in on. That's my way of saying maybe the worst is over for these stocks, but I really don't think so. And if they come down, which is what I think is going to happen, Scott. I'm going to add to my Salesforce and Twilio, and I might add a few other names. So this is what you do when you're running a portfolio. You're not that sure. That's what you're hearing from me. I'm not that sure. That's why I bought small positions in those companies. I could add to them and will if they come down, as I suspect they and that sector will. But I am not buying more of those or their ilk today. Much more happier buying those financials. Much more happier buying those Qualcomm's of the world. Much more happy.
2: Okay. Let let's wrap up our, our A-block today, Brenda, by by going a little bit big picture. Mike Wilson, Morgan Stanley, he's with us later in the week, by the way, so we can talk to him face to face about the calls he's made lately, which include a 10 to 15 percent correction that he is looking for. He's talking about the rolling correction now is only twenty-five percent done. You agree with that? You think we're heading for a ten to fifteen percent correction?
4: It's hard to know exactly what the catalyst for that would be, especially as we're sitting here right just right before what's likely to be a pretty strong earnings season. But I'll say, you know, that certainly there's going to be Fed taper talk. There's going to be more inflation figures coming through. So it could be something from a macro standpoint, as well as, you know, overall disease state. Uh, that could lead to a correction. It's normal in most years to have a double digit correction. We haven't had that yet more broadly, although I'll say that many sectors have experienced corrections or a pause uh, this year and have since uh, recovered from that pause. So I don't think it's completely out of the question, um, But. You know, I think those kind of oppor- those kind of uh, corrections really create opportunity to buy the names that might be on your shopping list, um, and you've been waiting around, and they, maybe they've been too expensive uh, to get involved with. But I think those types of opportunities um, really can can definitely be good ones, uh, especially against a backdrop where the economy really is improving, and there's still a ton of support. Uh, so we should see um, the stock market recover from a correction like that. Um, but again, it, it creates opportunity.
2: Yeah. Joe.
1: So here's where where Mike is on to something that's really important. First of all, the 10 to 15 percent lower for the overall market. Forget about that call. If you're really interested in that call, come to Long Island, sit in my office with me and trade S&P futures. And we'll see how much money we could both lose. The real story is the rolling correction, Scott. That's where you have to pay attention. That's where the opportunity is, because that allowed me to get into CrowdStrike below 220. That allowed me more recently to get into Honeywell. I agree with Mike. I think these rolling corrections are absolutely going to continue through the remainder of the year, and that's ultimately where your opportunity source is.
2: Well, what part is not going to have the rolling correction? I mean, it's going to hit. What what isn't it going to hit?
3: It's
1: already hit. So far, we have not seen. Go ahead, Joe. So far, we haven't seen it we haven't really seen it in energy and energy is in a peculiar place because there's been a relative underperformance in the equities relative to the spot price so that's kind of a little bit of a riddle to figure out but we really haven't seen it there yet
2: jim
3: yeah thanks scott and joe joe you're i totally agree about this rolling correction I'm, I have some of my folks at work looking into this for me because I want to know an exact answer of how many stocks in the S and P 500 have not corrected this year. The only two that I can think of are Google and Microsoft. Now maybe on the show we're going to come up with five others, but I'll tell you, you look across wide industry sectors, J P Morgan, Caterpillar, Apple. I mean, Home Depot. I can go on and on. Just about every stock I can yep. think of has already corrected, yet the market has not corrected. It's correcting underneath in these sectors, and I got to tell you, I don't think you're going to get an overall market correction because of these out-of-sync sector corrections. I want to say one other thing. One of my colleagues last night sent me a graph last, last night. You may not know this, but for five years in the 1990s, you didn't get a market correction period. End of story. I think it was 92 to 97. No correction in there. So, you know, sometimes I've even said, hey, we're due for a correction. That is a useless terminology. I won't use it anymore. You can get corrections in individual sectors and have that take care of the market's correction overall.
2: All right. We're going to take a quick break. want to show you a mystery chart, too. It's up 17 percent in the past month. It's hitting all time highs today. Just got its price target bumped again. We'll tell you how much higher it can go from here. It's our call of the day. We'll do it next. And a reminder, you can always watch or listen to us live on the go on the CNBC app. Back in just two minutes.
1: Old Dominion Freight Line was built on keeping promises. With an industry-leading on-time delivery record and low claims rate, we keep promises better
6: than any other LTL freight carrier because we treat every shipment like it's our most important one. Visit ODFL.com to learn more.
7: Welcome back to The Halftime Report. I'm Rahel Solomon, and here is our CNBC News update at this hour. In Surfside, Florida, the death toll has risen to 94 from the collapsed condo. The mayor of Miami-Dade County announcing today that four more bodies have been recovered. 83 victims have been identified, and 22 people remain unaccounted for. And on the news tonight, the increasingly difficult job of finding victims and identifying their remains. Britain's health minister says that England is going ahead with plans to end nearly all COVID restrictions next Monday. The minister telling Parliament that now is the right time to move the nation closer to normal life. In Louisiana, former governor Edwin Edwards has died. Edwards dominated state politics for decades before being convicted for racketeering and then spending eight years in prison. Edwards was 93 years old and in Tampa Bay the Lightning celebrating their Stanley Cup championship win with a boat parade through the harbor hundreds of boats as we see here taking part as the lightning bring home the Stanley Cup for the second year in a row it's become a, a bit of a dynasty Scott I'll send it back to you
2: okay for hell appreciate that thank you very much all right take a look at shares of Chipotle hitting all-time highs today price target gets bumped now Joe which you own RBC takes it to 1800 from 1750. What do you think of this here, Joe? I'd like to
1: see him take it even higher because I think that's absolutely where Chipotle <laughs> is going. Scott, I got incredibly excited earlier in the year when Chipotle was added to my quality momentum index. And that's when I really began to uncover the research in terms of the digital transformation and the powerful impact it is having on this business. Brian Nickel has done an incredible job. You're talking about the highest margin component of the business, which is mobile ordering and consumers embraced it during the pandemic. Coming out of the pandemic, they're continuing to embrace it. You've got menu innovation. And guess what? That customer is paying a higher ticket price. There seems to be a resiliency that is absolutely remarkable. This company has zero debt on its balance sheet. One of my favorite holdings.
2: They got pricing power is what you're talking about, right? Without question. Yeah, that stock, as we said, all time high today. All right, uh, Brenda, Chevron. uh, We mentioned energy for a moment earlier, but Chevron initiated outperformed today from BMO. Uh, Price target goes to 123. That's a 25 percent upside from here. Brenda.
4: Yeah, we would agree that this is, uh, you know, a very high quality name within the energy sector, really one of the most pristine balance sheets, Um, a lot of capital controls. When we look at the big big picture perspective, oil prices bottomed in April of last year. So we really have a strong year over year uh, growth in oil prices, which should be beneficial to free cash flow growth. Um, We really think um, that we're going to hear more about the energy transition that Chevron has embarked upon, which... In the shorter term is going to be money um, spent um, and perhaps not much of a return, but really a necessity as the, this industry really evolves. But also here in the short intermediate term, I mean, we're still very dependent on oil um, globally. Um, and so I don't think uh, this transition is going to happen overnight. And that should create a lot of strong demand.
2: Jim Labenthal, Greenbrier, you remember that name?
3: I love Greenbrier. Of course I remember it. Um, I'm Wait not in the stock right now. I Wait saw a minute. the you love upgrade the, I, from
2: uh, You love the name. You come love on, the name. Love, Why did you, you sold Scott, it? Scott.
3: Scott, do you Sold it February. Scott, look I behind me? I've got sold railroad it. I've got railroad books right here. You know I love a company like Greenbrier. Um, But I'm not going to own it right now, and here's why. As much as I love what they do, this is as cyclical a company as you can possibly imagine, bending metal into rail cars. And every once in a while, they slip up. It's just what happens. Maybe steel prices go up. Maybe, you know, a piece of machinery breaks. You have to buy this stock when they slip up on earnings, not when they just killed their earnings and Bank of America gives them a double upgrade. Wait for them to slip up on earnings. I'll be back in. You know I love railroad stocks.
2: I know, but it's not not like the stock's getting a massive boost from a, from a double upgrade you sold it at 46 bucks uh mid february yep. in your mind yes. do you have an idea of what a number is that you'd be willing to buy it back at forget about you know the mechanism you know that gets it there I, yeah what's the number
3: i think you're below 40 again uh in the next 12 months and that'll be a steal it just happens every you know every 12 months they've got a hiccup and it'll be below 40, and you'll buy it, and maybe then you'll get to that 52 the Bank of America has. But that's, for this risk, you need to have that sort of return. You can't buy it here at 43, 44 for the 52 exit price.
2: Yeah, the 52-week high, by the way, is is 50. Uh, it's up 75% in a year. Obviously, if you've moved closer to a, a full-scale reopening of the economy, a stock like this is going to have had a, a nice a bit of track in front of it. All right, let's take a quick break. Up next, we'll talk about the big ETFs you need to watch today. Before we do go to break, take a look at some of the stocks hitting new highs today. Albemarle, I've heard that name on this program before. Domino's, that one too. And AutoZone, we'll be back right after this.
0: What does it mean to be rich? Maybe it's less about reaching a magic number and more about discovering the magic in life. At Edward Jones.
8: And welcome to the ETF Edge portion of Halftime Report. I'm Bob Pisani. The battle between growth and value continues, as does the battle between waiting by fundamentals or by market capitalization. Wisdom Tree has just launched its growth and momentum ETF, symbol WGRO, that seeks to capture the upside of aggressive growth. With lower drawdowns and volatility. Neat trick here. Let's talk to the man in charge and see if they can pull this off. Jeremy Schwartz is the global head of research at Wisdom Tree. Andrew McCormick from Wallach Beth Capital joins us as well. Jeremy, this is an interesting attempt to capture two fundamental components that investors have become very intrigued with in the last decade aggressive earnings growth combined with momentum. Now, how do you decide what goes into this, this index? We have uh, really unique partners on this index as well. Some of the earliest growth investors, Bill O'Neill, the founder of Investors Business Daily, has the canceling methodology for identifying growth stocks, has created this unique methodology saying when you go to growth stocks, most of the indexes have no regard for tactical entry points, tactical exits. How do you not find stocks that are overly crowded? Uh, And so this is hopefully going to give you some of those prime O'Neill style growth stocks with those downward volatility adjustments to avoid overcrowding, uh, finding the right entry points and exits. Uh, And when you think about where momentum has been, most momentum funds, the academics say you should rebalance monthly. The most popular momentum ETF only trades twice a year. Uh, So it really solves both of those factors, growth and momentum. Yeah, that's MTUM you're referring to. Now, Andrew, uh, this issue has been debated for decades. Why have an index market cap weighted when it makes more sense to it by, say, Fundamentals by, for example, earnings growth uh-huh. or dividends or momentum or even sales. Is there any evidence that weighting by fundamentals works better than weighting by market cap? And if so, what fundamentals? Tell Look,
9: us. Here's the sort of thing. I won't argue the fact that if an S&P 500 with a 30-year time horizon is going to, and a low cost is going to outperform everything. But what's the reality? Not everybody has a 30-year time horizon. So let's just focus on one factor, momentum. The thing you have to understand about momentum, it, it looks a lot like growth stocks because that's where the momentum is right now, but momentum has no bias Right, at all and has no, and does not discriminate. So what does that mean? Well those names can go up regardless of any fundamentals or technicals, or just the momentum of that stock. I guess technical could be the money going into it. But this is what I like about this Wisdom Tree ETF. It's equal weighted. So don't think of it as the upside, which of course is there. Think of equal weighting protecting you on the downside. When a momentum name is high for no reason other than just Robin Hood piling into the name, that is likely gonna correct at some point and the equal weighting monthly will try to dampen that and, and actually return some alpha in the return of no downside.
8: Yeah, equal weighting is a very interesting little uh, piece of this. Now, we're going to have much more on growth versus value, on the fundamental versus market cap weighting, which works better with Jeremy and with Andrew on ETF Edge, 1 p.m. Eastern time. And we'll get a preview of the SPAC market for the second half of the year with Mark Yusko. He's the CEO and chief investment officer at Morgan Creek Capital Management. He runs the Defiant SPAC ETF. That's all coming up, ETFEdge.cnbc.com, halftime report back right after this.
2: All right, welcome back. I want to run through some stocks that are hitting new all-time highs today. There they are on the right-hand side of your screen. We'll go to the folks who own them. Brenda, I want to start with you. American Tower down at the bottom there is a new all-time high today and stocks up 25% year to date. Brenda, you hear me? Yeah, or maybe it's Brenda's important micro-
9: to
4: this company, Oh, you got me. Okay. The one year, however, it's up less than 8% um, over the one-year period.
2: Oh, I'll come back to Brenda. Her, her stock seems to be breaking up. All right, Joe, uh, Generac is an uh, all-time high as well today, and that stock's up 95% year-to-date.
1: Yes, so we've been talking a lot on the show about Generac. I bought into it uh, about a month ago. This is clearly... A play on the increase in residential and market solutions for battery storage and the instability of the overall power grid. Um, Thinking about the opportunity here, this is a company less than 30 billion in market cap. So there is an M&A value to it. But the company is clearly positioning itself in market share growth for residential storage. And it's got a lot of positive momentum behind it, both fundamentally and technically.
2: Okay, Steve Weiss, Target, all-time high today, 42% gain year-to-date.
5: Yep, and uh, look, this, uh, not unlike uh, Chipotle, has a phenomenal CEO that took a company that was struggling and has remade it in an image that fits particularly well going forward. Digital, there are basically three companies that own this market. And that's Walmart, Costco, and Target. And I would argue Target even more so than Costco. So I, so I keep looking at, say, should I sell? Should I sell? But then the numbers keep going higher and higher. So at a discount to the S and P right now, with better growth going forward, I'm staying there.
2: Okay, uh, Farmer Jim, Abv, fifty-two week high today. Uh, the stock's up ten percent year to date, if I recall. This is a new name, right? Didn't didn't you add this either last week or the week or the week prior?
3: It was last week and a couple of weeks before that added Bristol-Myers. And the reason is because the pharmaceutical sector is breaking out. Uh, take a look at PPH, the Vanek uh, ETF. It's about to set an all-time high. Last high was 2015. This stock, AbbVie, has a 4.5% dividend yield and is marching higher along with the sector. That's, that's a pretty good setup.
2: All right. I think we've got... Uh Brenda's technical issues figured out. Brenda, I'm going to throw you the ball again, let you go with uh, American Tower. Again, for our viewers, all-time high, up 25% year-to-date.
4: Yeah, all time high, but I'd say over the last year, the stock is up less than 8%. So it really got caught up in the whole rate group underperformance that happened uh, during this time last year. But I'd say this company is strong, is is positioned very well, uh, especially for a 5G rollout, um, as cell phone towers are are only going to be more, are only going to be needed. So it really is a beneficiary of that trend.
2: OK, ask halftime is next. You can send your questions by video. We'll play them on the air. Email us ask halftime at CNBC We'll be right back. To your questions we go. All right, Bryn, you are up first. Where's Bryn on my list? LaRue in Honolulu. I bought a call on Amazon that expires at the end of the month. I have a big gain, but should I hold it or sell it? to the close. What do you think?
0: LaRue, I think that when it comes to options, you only have a couple weeks till they expire. So time decay will not be your friend. I'm a big believer when you only have a short amount of time that a bird in a hand um, is better than two in the bush. So I would be looking to exit and then re-put the position on um, going forward with longer, longer time to expiration.
2: Okay. Farmer Jim, a viewer writing in literally just moments ago, Steve G says, come on, Jim Labenthal, get into fintech. It's never too late. Sell some Boeing. All right, what do you think?
3: <laughs> um, well, look, I'm it not going like to sell me. Boeing to get into uh, fintech. <laughs> it sounds Steve like G. Steve G. So- I mean, what is that? You know. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, no. It's dude, not it's Steve like W. It's I've, Steve G. <laughs> What the saxophone player? Look, I've got to, um, I've got to, that's I've got Kenny to get into G. fintech, and I think somebody else. It might have been. See, I know, I know, it's a bad one. Um, I don't know. I, I, you I, might you not know, know. SoFi. Somebody pointed Sounded out. Kind of serious. SoFi. I got to look at SoFi. I got to look at SoFi. Anthony Noto, Liz Young. It's a pretty killer combination there. So that's where I'm going to start looking.
2: Okay, Joe, uh, turning to you from Tyler in New Jersey. Fortinet's been a real winner so far this year. I'm unsure what to do with it here. Does it have more ransomware news as a tailwind, or is it time to move on?
1: I I think there is more positive news to come for the entire uh, cybersecurity industry. That's going to come here towards the end of July in earnings. If you're uncomfortable with your position, though, what I would recommend doing in Fortinet. Put a stop in. It hasn't traded below the 50-day moving average for the entirety of the year. The price for the 50-day moving average right now is 225.
2: Put a stop in to sell half your position there. Okay, Steve Weiss to you from Scott in Pennsylvania. Steve, love your work. Would you put new money to work here on Live Nation?
5: You know, I did put new money to work about 5% higher because I had been looking at it, and Josh convinced me to, uh, to go in through his impassioned pitch. This is a little different than the other opening stocks because we're just seeing venues open. So their momentum is going to occur through the summer as concerts come back. So I would put some new money into it. It's a trading position set for me, so I don't have a lot of money in it, but I like the stock here.
2: All right. Good stuff. I don't know where the time went. We'll take a quick break. We'll come back. We'll do final trades next. All righty guys, let's do final trades. Brynn, you're up first.
0: Um, Jeppy, if you think the market's going to be range-bound, you get three sources of um, appreciation, capital appreciation, dividends, and selling calls on the S&P.
2: Okay, thank you for that. Brenda, what do you have for us today?
0: Uh,
4: Salesforce. And it's underperformed the broader group for the year, has a really unique opportunity to gain any market share. To make this
2: Joe T.?
1: Financial sector, Scott, capital, market trade, T.
5: Rowe price, all-time high
2: today. Oh, okay. Uh, Steve.
5: XPO Logistics. Tomorrow you're going to have an investment meeting with GXO. So they split into two companies, one being logistics, one being transportation service. Tomorrow will be GXO. It should drive the stock higher.
2: Okay. And finally, Farber Jim.
5: So I think, I think
3: I've got to step into this new nickname you've given me of Mr. Financials. Uh, I personally added to Citigroup <laughs> uh, during the show. Uh, <laughs> here we. I'm giving it a big bear hug by Citigroup right now. I did during the show.
2: You bought City during the show. Wow. Yep. Wow, yeah. You, you had to do that after I, I gave you that new name. All right. Thanks, everybody. Thanks for watching as well. The exchange starts right now. You've been listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast. You can always catch us live weekdays at 12 Eastern, only on CNBC.
6: You seek the key, but first, you must learn the ways of precision, craft, and performance with Acura's all-electric ZDX. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system up to a 313-mile range and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, The ZDX is their most powerful SUV yet. Unlock the energy when you visit Acura.com to order yours today.